Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. I want you to cast your mind back to the last time you were in school and had some homework to do. Maybe for some of you that'll be just about 48 hours ago. For others it might be more like 48 years or maybe even more than that. But do you remember what it was like to have some homework to do but you hadn't done it? Do you remember that feeling? Well imagine if you had that homework to do and as you come into school a friend says to you, oh did you bring in the homework today? Don't forget it's Thursday, homework day. I hope you brought it. And you just, oh, no, didn't bother, not interested. Maybe the friend would be a little bit disappointed in you, or, um, or maybe they'd admire you for your bravery. I don't know. But imagine if then the teacher asked you for your homework, but you hadn't done it. I would, I'm not sure that ever happened to me, or if it did, I just felt sorry for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and didn't tell my mum because I was so ashamed. Um, but, but imagine that you didn't care at all, and you just didn't bother listening to the teacher, carry on chatting to a friend. Oh, I haven't done it. I'm not sorry. It doesn't matter. Imagine how angry the teacher would be with you. Frustrated. Imagine the kind of report card you would get. Now imagine if the teacher then went and got the head teacher and brought them into the room and they asked you, now, where's your homework? Why haven't you done your homework? Can you imagine how that would be? Or maybe you wouldn't care at all. Maybe you would still turn to the person next to you and carry on chatting to them, not stand up, do you do that these days, kids, if the head teacher walks in, do you stand up and, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I did in my day. Imagine you, you stay seated, you stay chatting to the person next to you, you're not listening to the head teacher at all. Imagine the kind of trouble you would get in then. See, with a friend, it's a, you know, maybe they'd be disappointed. With a head teacher, you're in real trouble if they're asking for your homework and you haven't done it. Let me read you a story. This is a story that Jesus told. It's in Mark chapter 12, if you want to follow along. There's Bibles on the welcome desk if you want a paper copy, or I'm sure you could um, find an app as well. This is Mark chapter 12, and you need to remember, remember what Jesus has been doing in the last couple of stories. If you haven't been with us, let me fill you in. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, and um, he went to the temple and had a bit of an argument with with the religious leaders there. They were saying that he shouldn't do this, he shouldn't do that. And he was saying the same thing to them. They were arguing together. They were challenging his authority. And he was saying, you're doing it wrong. The way that you're using the temple is stopping people from coming to God rather than helping them come. So Jesus was angry with them. They weren't doing what they should be doing. And now Jesus tells them a story. With all of these religious leaders, very important people listening in, he tells them this story. He began to speak to them in in parables. Now, parables are stories that have a deeper meaning. See if you can work out what the meaning is. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Maybe we'll have a picture of the vineyard up in the background, and you can see what it might look like. He rented out the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a long journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. 
Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, Surely they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come on, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then, he looked for a, then they looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. I wonder if you could think about or notice some of the details in that story and who Jesus is speaking about. Did you see? Well, it might be useful to know a little bit of Old Testament, a bit of, of the Israelites' teaching, of how they talked about themselves as a nation. This is one of the prophets about five or six hundred years before Jesus. He says this, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. The men of Judah, the people of Judah, that's a, a big tribe in Israel, are the garden of his delight. He looked for justice, but saw only bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. See, all over the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, that nation, were talked about as a vineyard, a place that God had planted, people who God had rescued and blessed and given so much to. And they were expected to bear fruit. They were expected to follow God, to work hard in the vineyard and produce something that would be tasty to him, something that would please him. Did you hear that? The people of Judah, they're the garden of his delight. It says all over the Bible that the Lord delights in us. He's made us. He loves us. He made you. And he wants you to be somebody who follows him, who works for him, who lives for him, who he can enjoy and who enjoys him in this kind of beautiful circle of, of enjoying one another. We're made to know God. The people of Israel were made especially. He chose them out of all the nations in the world. You might want to re go back and read those stories in um, Genesis and Exodus of how all of all the peoples of the world, of the famous Greeks and their great empires, of the Romans and all of their impressive technology and military power. Let's think of uh, the Indian civilizations and the Chinese and all of their running miles ahead of everybody else in terms of technology and culture and of all these wonderful people in the world, the Egyptians and their pyramids, the Vikings and their ships and adventures, of all these different peoples, God chose Israel, a tiny little group of people who lived wandering about in a desert. God chose them and he made them his vineyard. Do you see what Jesus is talking about? Jesus comes to the capital city of the Israelites, of the Jews, and what does he find when he gets there? Not much, at least not much good. He turns up and he finds that they've been taking the stuff that he'd given to them and not doing much at all with it, at least not much that's good. You see, he is like this man who plants a vineyard, prepares a world, builds a beautiful garden, and then invites some people to come and live in it, enjoy it, make it bear lots of fruit, and then give some of that fruit back to him. We're supposed to be a vineyard. 
the people of Israel were that special vineyard. So I've got a fruit of the vineyard today. I've got some grapes. You can see a picture behind me. Maybe that'll be a little mental hook for you. The people of Israel, like I said, be, they were chosen. They were God's people. He gave them a place to live. He gave them a wonderful, beautiful place to live. And he gave them himself. He said, I will be your God and you'll be my people. He protected them. He looked after them. He brought them through all sorts of scrapes and difficulties. He rescued them from Egypt, from being slaves, and brought them to a land and set them free. And said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. We'll be special to each other. We'll enjoy one another in a different way to anybody else. Well, we're a bit like that as well, aren't we? We have been blessed and, and given so much as people who live in God's world. There's um, Welsh, English, um, Scottish people, or whatever country you come from. We've been blessed by God, haven't we? We have, we have a peaceful place. There's been peace in our country for the best part of 100 years now. That's pretty rare. There's so much food on our tables. Or if you don't have much food, you can go to the food bank and kind people from church and other churches around will look after you. There's so much. We have roofs over our heads. We have families who love us. We have lots of different mums and mother figures in the church who look after us and we can give thanks for them. God has given to us so much. And us especially in church. And how many sermons have you listened to? How many times have you sat down and opened your Bible in English that you can understand? Or maybe if you didn't fancy it in that translation, you could pick up another one. And find it in a slightly different form of English that you could understand. Or if you didn't like that one, a third or a fourth. How many different types of Bibles do we have? That are all the Bible, but just different translations that help us understand. How many blessings do we have? God has been really good to us, hasn't, hasn't he? But what did the people of Israel do with God's goodness? What do we do with his goodness? Well, the people of Israel, very soon after they were rescued from Egypt, they started grumbling. Even soon after they got into the land, this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, they started grumbling and turning away from God. They started rejecting him and looking at the nations around them, like the Egyptians and the Assyrians and all these other nations, and thinking, oh, we'd actually prefer to be like them. We know God has chosen us to be special, but really, we're not interested in that all that much. We'd rather be like those people around us. That's what they did. And do you know what God did in return? He sent them messengers. He sent them people like Moses to rescue them to begin with. People like Joshua to lead them. Judges, just before I came, a year or two ago, we were doing a series on judges. You remember the famous people like Samson. He sent those guys to sort out the country. He sent prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, can you name all the other smaller ones? Obadiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. All of these, ten, you can name Prophet after prophet after prophet. And there's probably tons that we don't even know about. But what do the people do with that kind of kindness? When God sent these people to remind them that God was their God. When he sent these people to, to say, come back to him. Turn away from turning away from him. Turn away from sin and come back and follow him. Look at all the stuff that he's given to you. Look, he's even given himself to you. Turn back. Come and follow. Come and know him. Come and give him some fruit. What do the people of Israel do? Well, Jesus says, some of them they threw out, they didn't bother listening to. Some of them they beat up and threw out and didn't bother listening to. Some of them they even killed. You could go back and find some of those stories, tragic stories of how people don't want to listen to God. 
would rather live in our own strength, in our own way. We'd rather take all of the stuff that he's given us, this beautiful vineyard, and live by ourselves. What does Jesus say happens that's even worse than getting rid of and not listening to the messengers? He says that they even did this to his son, that Jesus came himself, that the father who loves us said, I, they'll, they'll listen to my son, surely, won't they? And so he takes his only beloved, precious son, who's been with him for eternity, and gives him to us. He becomes a baby. The one who spoke out creation is crying and has to learn how to speak. It's an amazing story that we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? But not only does he come into the world, not only did he go and visit the vineyard, but the people of the vineyard didn't listen to him. Took him and killed him and threw him out and said, finally, we can get rid of God once and for all. And we'll say God is dead and we can live how we want. And that'll be the end of religion forever. That's what the people of Israel did. But it's not just the people of Israel, is it? Really, it's a description of us. The people of Israel, the Jews, they're no worse than anybody else. They're no better than anybody else. We shouldn't look down on them or treat them any differently. We should look at their example and say, well, am I not exactly the same thing? Am I not somebody who's taken lots of God's blessings and his good things? All of the the good stuff he's given to me, my family, our food, the roof over our heads, the peaceful country that we live in. The gospel, the good news of Jesus that I hear over and over again, Sunday by Sunday. I take all of that good, good stuff he's given. I live in his vineyard, but really I don't pay much attention to him. Really, in my heart, I reject Jesus. Isn't that what we're like, naturally? It is, isn't it? We even sing songs. There's a famous song that goes like this. One of the, the verses says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How mad is that? That he loves us and we love him and yet we're so prone to forget about it. To wake up in the morning and think, oh, well, not think about God and, and just go our own way. To come across a, a decision and to completely forget to pray or just not bother because we think we're strong enough to deal, it, deal with it on our own. You see, this isn't just a problem for the people of Israel back in the day or these nasty religious Pharisees. You know, we all know they're the pantomime villains that we boo at. It wasn't just a problem for them, but a problem for us too. It's a problem of our hearts. And a problem that has a really serious solution. Did you see it's not, it doesn't have a very happy ending, does it, this story? When they killed him, the owner comes himself and he says, I will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Time is up. God has been so gracious and patient. It was thousands of years and thousands of different, um, different prophets that he sent to this vineyard. But they didn't listen. And eventually God says, time is up. Time is up. There's one day, I hope it won't come for any of us, where God will say, time is up for you. There's plenty of stories that Jesus himself tells in the Gospels of people who go about busy lives and do all these kind of various things, planting um, vineyards, growing fruit, getting jobs, building bigger houses, doing all of the stuff that we do in life. But then time comes, God says, time's up, and he asks where their fruit is. And if there's no fruit, if they haven't been walking with him, if they've paid no attention, then what happens to these men in the vineyard? He says, time's up, time to go, and somebody else will come in instead. But there is good news. There's a warning there, isn't there, for each of us. 
with all the blessings that we have been given, with all of God's patience with us, there's a warning that we should do something with it. But there is good news as well, isn't there? The good news is you and I are still breathing. You and I are still here, listening, hearing, having another opportunity, another messenger coming to say, have you shown any fruit? Have you offered something to God? Do you have anything to show for the life that God has given to you? For those billions of heartbeats that he's given to you so far? For each breath that he gives you, for the week that you have ahead, do you have a plan to use it for him? You see, that's with a little challenge. Really, it's a big challenge, isn't it? That's the question of the parable. To say, God has given to us so much, what are we going to do with it? The Pharisees, most of them anyway, had run out of time. But we haven't. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, the first thing, what option one, is to argue with God. This is the sad option. It's the kind of option that looks a bit like this. I've got a Lego box here and some complicated instructions. Have you ever been building Lego or doing a job or doing anything, and then somebody has told you, oh, you've done it wrong. That, that piece doesn't go there. It goes the other way around, or you've got the wrong piece altogether, or it's not quite that color of gray. You need the darker gray, or, or maybe you flicked on a little bit, and, and oh, it's not that piece. It's this one over here, and we argue about who's right, especially when somebody tells us that we're wrong. Have you ever felt that? You know, when, when you do something and somebody says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. That piece is in the wrong place. It could be something really small, like building Lego, or it could be something really serious, like a life decision that you've made. One of the options that we have when we read a story like this that's a warning, or whenever somebody says that we've done something wrong, one of the things that we do is to say, oh, I don't believe you. That's nonsense. And we just carry on the way that we've been going. If you do that, if you make a mistake building a a Lego spaceship, it'll all go wrong by the end. If you do it with your life, well, maybe some of you know what that's like. Really, each one of us should know what's, what that's like, because all of us have not just made mistakes, but intentionally walked away from God. And we know how much sadness and pain that causes in our lives. So, but one option is to say, oh, I'll just carry on doing what I'm doing. That's the really sad option that these religious leaders take here. Did you see that? They perceived that Jesus had spoken this parable against them. They realized it, that they were the people in the vineyard who'd rejected him. And what do they do? Instead of going, oh, wow, God is going to come and, and throw us out. Time is going to be up for us before too long. Instead of saying that and saying sorry, they just carry on regardless. Isn't that insane? It's not because they don't understand. It's not because they think that what they're doing is right. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they carry on anyway. They looked for a way to arrest him and eventually kill him because they knew he'd spoken the parable against them. Because they knew he'd spoken the parable against them, not despite, but they knew that what they were doing was wrong. They knew what Jesus was saying was right, but they didn't care. They wanted to do it their own way anyway, and they'd live with the consequences, except that they didn't have the courage to go through with it just yet because there were lots of crowds around Jesus. So they leave it to later, to a quieter, darker, darker moment. You see, this is option number one. When we realize that we've done wrong, when we realize that we've walked away from God, option one is to quibble, to say, ah, no, I'm going to go on my own way. I know that I've done wrong, but I'd rather live by myself than with you. That's option number one. It's the option that says, Jesus is small. Jesus isn't much. Jesus isn't very significant. He's just one option among many. But look at what Jesus says here. 
You think you've thrown him out. You think you've got rid, that you've thrown off the chains of, of religion and of God. But really, you need to pay attention to what Isaiah said um, back in the day, to what the psalm we read at the beginning said all those hundreds of years ago when they said things like this. Have you not read, Jesus asked them, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. I wonder if you have any bricks that look like this or stones. I pulled this out of our chimney a few months ago with the help of a friend who had a big pneumatic drill. Somebody, well, previous owners had blocked up our, um, our fireplace and then just papered over it. It looked a bit boring. So we decided to hollow it out and kind of make a bit of use of it. So we spent an afternoon getting dust everywhere, pulling out bricks and cement and old dead crows that had fallen down the chimney, that kind of thing, and pulling out useless old bricks like this. This is from the Emlyn. What do you call the place where you make bricks? Brickery. A brickery? Bric-a-brac. Um, this is a... This is a pretty useless brick, isn't it? You couldn't really build a house with that. So I just left it. It's on a rubble heap um, outside the south side of our house. So if you want any landfill bricks, something, you can come and pick them up if you want to. But a bit of a useless brick, isn't it? And that's what the picture is here, that they were building maybe Solomon's great old temple. And there were all these wonderful, beautiful rocks, perfectly smoothly carved out, ready to go in the temple. But there's this one manky-looking rock, maybe some junior mason chipped a bit off it and oh, now it's gone wrong we can't put that in the temple so they tossed it onto the rubbish heap onto the rubble and it's no use but then the psalmist the poet that we read at the beginning of the service picks up that theme and says this one that you've rejected that you threw out that you thought was useless that you had you had no interest in that stone has come back and has become the capstone the capstone is the top one that holds the whole arch together or you might have in your Bible cornerstone that makes the whole house square. You know, if you have a dodgy cornerstone, everything ends up wonky and, and you have to rebuild the house. Or this is the keystone or capstone, the thing that is the most important stone in the whole building that keeps it all together, that makes it all make sense. Jesus says, you think you've got rid of me? You think you don't need me at all? You think you can, you can live without me? You need to be careful. Because the thing that you've thrown out onto the rubbish heap will come back and you'll realize one day, whether you believe in me or not, you'll realize one day that actually I'm the most important thing in all of human history. I am the cornerstone of everything. I'm the one who holds it all together. I'm the one who is the most important thing, the most important person in all of the universe. So is there another option? Well, we really hope that there is. I think we get little clues of what that option is here. Option one, just carry on regardless. Even though we know that we're wrong, we'd rather live our own way and deal with the consequences. Jesus says, be careful of the consequences. Don't throw me out. There's clues to another option here. I think the clue is this, that the capstone dies. Do you see that? That they, the, the son comes along, this beloved son who comes from the father, and they kill him. But then this one that they kill becomes the the most important thing in all of the universe. How does that happen? If you crush a, a capstone, it's not useful anymore. You have to go and make a new one. If you smash up a cornerstone, it's not square anymore, so you have to go and get a new one. But this cornerstone, this capstone, it dies. But it's still the capstone. This one that they throw out in order to free themselves and make everything the way that they want to becomes the cornerstone. How does that happen? Well, we're not told in this story 
But keep on coming over the next few weeks, and we'll get to Easter, and we'll see how it happens. Although I'm going to spoil it anyway, because we need to hear it Sunday by Sunday, don't we? There are, there are really three options, aren't there? Option one, carry on regardless. Option two, try a little bit harder. Just try to bring some fruit. I was in a sermon in Slovakia a few uh, days ago. I visited there for a few days, went to the main cathedral in the center, and the, and the preacher there was preaching on a passage very similar to this, about God coming and asking, where's your fruit? And he ended the sermon by saying this, well, we obviously haven't shown very much fruit, but here you are, it's good that you're in church, so we can take some communion, and we can you know, be in church, and that's a nice thing, and we can all get inspired to go and try harder. That's the message, and we finished there. It left me really angry, because that's not the end of the story. Option one, carry on regardless. Option two, just try a little bit harder. But really, we know that we need something more, that all of us want to go our own way, that all of us will end up like these Pharisees, with time running out, not really even wanting to come back and know God and wanting to bear fruit, unless he does something, unless he changes our hearts. And how does he do that? Well, he does it by dying for us. You see, we end up killing him. There's another old hymn that asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And in one sense, of course we weren't. We've been, we were born 2,000 years or, or so later. We weren't there, but really we were. We were the same kinds of people. It was people just like me and you who looked at Jesus, who thought, there's something about him, but I'm not interested. We'd rather crucify him instead. It's people like us who threw him outside, said if he's dead, life would be better. But then somehow God takes that, God planned that, so that when Jesus died, he was doing something more than just being thrown outside, but he was going intentionally. And as he went outside to where we should be, thrown out of the garden, thrown out of the vineyard, and he died, he was making it possible for us to come back in and be a part of God's family, come back and be part of the vineyard and not be thrown out forever. As he died... We died. And as he rose again from the dead, as Sammy's going to speak about next Sunday evening, as he rose again from the dead, we rose again from the dead and have new life. There's another story in the Bible where um, servants are given lots of um, responsibility, and then the master goes away on a long journey. He comes back and he finds one of them has done a very bad job and hasn't bothered at all. He hates his master. And so he is thrown outside just like these were. But there's two others. Some are given, one's given a little bit, one's given a lot. And they've worked really hard with what they've been given. And at the end, at the end of the story, the master comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and join your master's happiness. Come and share some of the, of the wine, of the rejoicing, of the party in all of this that we've worked for. Well, how is it possible that we can come to God knowing that we're people like this, and that he can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It's possible because of Jesus. It's possible because Jesus was the good and faithful servant. Because he came to the vineyard, and he worked, and he loved his father, and he was always good, always did what was right, and he brought fruit. The only one who ever has. And so you see how it works? Jesus was the good worker. We've all been terrible workers. But Jesus was thrown outside, taken outside, and he died in our place. He took the consequences of what we deserved so that we could come back in, so that we could have a second chance, 
but more than have a second chance, that we could become part of the family of the master. We could come back into the vineyard and work for him. You see, there's three options today. If we see what we're like, if we see that we've taken all of God's good things, all of his patience with us, and thrown them back in his face, we can carry on regardless. But we have to face the consequences. We can try a lot harder, but really that won't work either. Or we can come to Jesus and know complete forgiveness for all of the mess and wreckage that we've caused so far. We can come to the one who's the capstone and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've thrown you out. I'm sorry I haven't been interested in you. Would you come and be the center of my life, be the capstone of everything I exist to do? Would you forgive me? Would you make me new so that I can be a part of your family? Maybe one last little encouragement. If you're a Christian going out to the workplace or to school this week, going out to family and friends who don't really know Jesus, who think of him as really small, then remember that verse. As you're looking around at colleagues who have no interest in Jesus, but life seems to be going really well for them. Remember this, the one that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The important people in our culture mostly reject Jesus, have no interest in him. Remember these people as well, the most important in their culture rejected Jesus and had no interest in him. You could look on Instagram and um, social media and see all the influences of the world who have not much of an interest in Jesus. But remember this verse, that the stone the builders rejected, even the people who seem the most important in our society, the builders of everything, even the stone that they've rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. He's lifted up Jesus to be the center of everything. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Here's a question for you this morning. Is it marvelous in yours? Will you just go your own way and forget about him? Or will you come to Jesus and say, wow, this is marvelous. The one I thought was nothing or was not interested in him at all turns out to be the most important figure of all of history. And I want to build my life on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for um, your goodness to us. We thank you that your goodness is shown in how you warn us as well, that we can come to difficult passages like this and read difficult words, words of judgment. And Lord, we thank you for your honesty in that, that you show us what we're really like, that we're like people who've lived in your vineyard, that you planted, that you made, that you've worked for, and we've lived as if it belongs to us as if you have no part in it at all, as if we're the kings of our own lives. Lord, we are sorry for that. We're sorry for how we've lived like that, even those of us who've been Christians for many, many years, for how we're so prone to wonder, to leave the God that we love. Lord, we want to say this morning that if the world was ours, that we would give that to you, that we long to give you all of nature and the whole realm of everything. We want to give all of our lives to you, and yet we're so prone to wander away. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to look to Jesus again today, not just to try harder, to be inspired, to do a little better next time, but we pray that you'd help us to look to Jesus, to see that he is the faithful worker who did everything well, who died for us in our place so that we could come back in and be part of your family and share in your happiness. Lord, we thank you that you're a happy God, a God who rejoices in good things. We thank you that you've given us so much and you've given us especially your own son. We pray that you would help us to make him the capstone of our whole lives today and tomorrow and all the way until you call us home. Amen.
We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amforchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.